So before Gary comes um, to speak to us this morning, um, we're going to have our reading, which is taken from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 10. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever um, they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, who, who's esteemed, um, as, who were esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they um, to the circumcised. All they asked um, was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Gary. Good morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to see you all. And uh, it's just good to be in God's house with his people this morning. Uh, the weather's hot. It's good. It's lovely out there. It's really roasting up here under these spotlights. And uh, fully, you know, I can't be in my shorts and t-shirts. And with this amount of... Um, of insulation that I have here, so I'm pretty warm up here this morning, and, uh, but I might even run down and get my glass of water and bring it up with me, so just bear with me, just in case you really don't want to have to pick me off the floor. That would just be too much for anybody. So here we are. Um, guys, you see that song we're singing, Your Goodness is Running After? I just, that was one of those songs that during lockdown, um, I just kept going back to. You're, you, all my life you have been faithful. Uh, and, and just in the darkest moments of lockdown, I think we can still go back there. And even in moments when all those ups and downs we go, when we're in the valley, we say, we count our blessings, we look back, we say, all my life you have been faithful. Uh, and it's a wonderful song, it's a wonderful truth. And that thing about God's goodness running after, this is not part of my sermon, this is just a little prelude, okay, this is a little extra. But that thing about God's love running after us, I guess I just didn't have any chance, did I, against Him? Because like, Look at me, I can't run. I've never been able to run. In fact, whenever uh, at PE in school, whenever we came down, you know the hurdles? The hurdles, right? Wasn't my thing. In fact, the school teacher used to line us up, the PE teacher lined us all up, and he said, Gary, just you run up the outside past the hurdles. Okay? So that was his encouragement. So it tells you I was never great at running. I was never going to outrun God. Here's the thing you're never going to outrun God either you're never going to outrun God. So if you're here this morning uh, and you haven't just stopped and let Him pick you up and clean you down and love you and set you on your feet and walk with Him, 
today's the day because you might as well do it today. You're never going to outrun God. And it's his goodness. It's his goodness that's running after you. So let's, let's, let's just be acknowledging his faithfulness to us, his goodness to us, and be receiving and accepting that today. Guys, we're, we're continuing on uh, today in our summer series of um, freedom, freedom, that series of looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians and looking at that first century letter, which is as relevant uh, to the, the 21st century church as it was to the first century church. Uh, and here we're looking at it in Belfast today because it has something to say to us. Um, so we launched into the series Freedom. We launched into the letter last week, and we saw from Galatians chapter 1 that just to, to recap before we look at some of the verses that Kirsten uh, read for us, and thank you for reading and leading in, uh, this morning, Kirsten. Uh, so just to recap from Galatians chapter 1, we see that God is the source of all freedom. He initiates our freedom and sets us free. And our freedom is in Christ. As we put our faith in Jesus, crucified for our sins, that we could be forgiven, risen again for our life so that we could have life, life in all its fullness, even life eternal, we have that freedom in Christ, in faith in what Christ has done. And then thirdly, we experience freedom most fully in community. And so this morning, it's, it's this freedom, it's this idea of freedom in Christ, in community, that I believe God wants us to, to press into a little bit this morning. So Paul was on this busy mission trip. He had set out from, from Jerusalem to go and plant churches in Asia Minor and Southeast Europe. And he was on this mission to, to plant churches in Europe. And so why in those days when, when travel was so difficult and the urgency was to get the gospel out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, why does Paul decide to stop the mission that he's on, to turn around, to go back across the Med, and go back to Jerusalem? Well, there are two reasons. There are two reasons, and both these reasons will be familiar to us today. We live in a day and age when we hear much about fake news. It's become a bit of a, a little phrase that's been bandied around a lot, but it sums up, doesn't it? Fake news, false gospels in a sense. And we live in a day and age when we hear so much about uh, or experience so much division in our world. So firstly, so the issues are, are fake news, false gospel, and division. Firstly, fake news. Well, anybody these days can print absolutely anything on a little flyer, on a banner, in a, a newspaper, uh, or even easier, on, post something on the internet or post something on, on social media, can't they? Anybody can do these things. I particularly like this one that I came across the other day. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. A timely little reminder from Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> who incidentally died in 1865. Fake news. And secondly, we hear so much about division in our world, division between people from different backgrounds, between classes and races and ethnicities and politics, and, and, and even, dare we say it, between churches and, and, and within churches. And it was to address issues of fake news and division in the church that Paul went back, therefore, to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders again there. It was in light of the fact that false believers were trying to infiltrate the church with false teaching. Paul was concerned, you see, for the preservation of the true gospel and the community of faith shaped by it. It was in a world that was not terribly unlike our own. Paul was concerned for gospel truth, for gospel truth and unity in a world of fake news and division. 
You see, the stakes were high. The stakes were high. False teaching and division between Jew and Gentile background believers that was threatening to, to twist the gospel, to destroy the gospel. It was threatening to rip the churches apart and to undo all the work that Paul had already been involved with. So Paul reckoned it was well worth that trip back to Jerusalem to safeguard the truth of the gospel of freedom in Christ and to maintain the unity of the community of faith and freedom in Christ. And likewise, so it is for us today, we, we, in an age of so much fake news and false gospels, of an age of anything goes, you know, each to your own, each to his own, everything is relative, my truth is, is my truth, your truth is your truth. And an age of so much division between people divided by all sorts of issues, we too would do well then to remember the importance that the living God of the Bible places on truth and unity. You see, over and over again, we see our Father calling for His children to to live out the truth of His Word, and and unity is a central theme of the Old and New Testament. From the psalmist writing in Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. For what happens there? When we dwell together in unity, there the psalmist tells us God bestows His blessing. And what's his blessing? The psalmist tells us eternal life. It's life. Life. To Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he went to the cross for us, he prayed for all who believe in him that they may be one, just as he and the Father are one. Paul writing to the the Ephesians, there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We get the message, one. And then Jesus spelling out and that the world will know his disciples and be, be drawn into the community of faith by the love that we have for one another. You see, our unity with one another affects us personally and it affects us collectively as a congregation. It, it, it affects our worship. It affects the, the, the worship, the pastoral care, the discipleship, the evangelism of the church. It would be no overstatement to say that the whole mission of God is, in fact, dependent on the truth of the gospel and the unity of the church. That's why Paul made, makes that trip back to Jerusalem. And that's why it's worth us just taking a few minutes to, to think on these things this morning. So so what can we learn from Paul and his letter as we too seek to live out lives of truth and unity in a world of false false gospels and divisions? Well, firstly, according to verses 1 to 4 of our reading from Galatians, gospel truth and unity means we have fellowship with everyone who is in Christ. Paul writes verse 1, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, who was a Jew. I took Titus, a Gentile, along also. These guys represent the spectrum of people that are out there, the Jews and the Gentiles. Barnabas was from a circumcised Jewish background, and Titus was from an uncircumcised, non-Jewish, Greek-Gentile background. So they, in a sense, represent everybody, Jew and Gentile. And you see, we see that in verse 4 that false teachers had infiltrated the church to spy on that freedom that those who were in Christ had. But we saw last week that God accepts us simply through faith in Christ, through faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus, 
crucified, risen, ascended, reigning and returning for us. And, and, and we see here that those who were in Christ had clearly accepted one another on the same basis, and they were free from any other considerations that could possibly divide them. But these false teachers were coming in, and they were saying, no, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to follow the Jewish customs, you've got to, you've got to be circumcised and follow the traditions. And Paul was saying, no, no, this is a gospel of grace and freedom. And so we see that in verse 3, Paul took along Titus with him to the meeting with the leaders in Jerusalem. And this was a test. This was a test case because this was a test case for this argument of, of having fellowship with everyone who was in Christ. The question was, would these Jewish background believers in Jerusalem, would they confirm the truth of Paul's gospel and maintain unity in the church by accepting Titus the Gentile into their fellowship as a brother on the basis of of in Christ alone. And yes, yes, they would. They would. Verse 3 tells us that they didn't require Titus to be circumcised, as the false teachers were insisting. And this was the, the Jewish apostles' way of saying, Titus, you're from a different culture, but you're in Christ. You're saved by faith in Him, not by the Jewish customs, not by circumcision or tradition or regulation. You see, Peter and James and John and the Jewish church, they were saying, we're cultural Jews. You're a cultural Greek. But that's okay. That's okay. That doesn't matter. What they're saying is, what does matter is that we've all trusted in Jesus and His gospel, and we've all, and so we're, we accept and we welcome and we enjoy fellowship with you, just as you are. In Christ. And so the same is true for us as a gospel-believing church. We will want to enjoy fellowship with everyone who is in Christ, regardless of their culture, their background, color, class, gender, nationality, ethnicity, or politics. You see, we will have fellowship with male and female, rich and poor, black and white, British and Irish, politically conservative and progressive, unionist and nationalist. For in Christ, in Christ is both wonderfully liberating and wonderfully unifying. When in Christ is our primary identity, it liberates us and it unifies us. And the body of Christ is so wonderfully colorful and diverse. And so we dare not discriminate against anyone who, any brother or sister in Christ who just simply isn't exactly like us. We can't. Christian unity takes no account of cultural differences, and it is never dependent on cultural similarities. I remember one time being on a mission trip with Youth with a Mission in, in South Africa, and we were 17 of us from 11 different countries, all five continents of the globe, all from different cultures and backgrounds, but all united in one mission of Jesus. It was a a little bit of a glimpse of that vision in heaven, you know, that God gives St. John. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. And it was a little bit of a glimpse of what's possible here in the church on earth as well. And you know, folks in our community here in East Belfast, we have people from many different backgrounds. 
Europeans and Africans, Americans and Asians, British and Irish, Unionist and Nationalist, Conservative and Liberal, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, all around us, all around us. And you know, I have always found this, this congregation here at Orangefield to be an open and welcoming church. And, and, and visitors and new members often remark on, on this lovely grace and, and freedom and welcome that's here. I know I've benefited from it, and many have. Thank you for that. And through our, our various different ministries, we are increasingly engaging with people from increasingly diverse backgrounds and circumstances, both in person as things begin to open up a little bit and, and also online, and that's just great to see, and God is very much at work in our midst and in our community in many different ways. But let's challenge ourselves on this one as well. Let's be more intentional. Let us long and pray and, and work for even more people from even more diverse backgrounds to, to come here and to find a home here to worship and fellowship and serve and belong in the one Orangefield Church family. United in Christ and the truth of His gospel, His kingdom come, His will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Secondly, verse 7, gospel truth and unity means recognizing that we each have different roles within the same mission of God. We all have different roles to play in God's one great unfolding salvation story and in the work of the gospel. The apostles recognized this at their meeting in Jerusalem. Verse 7 and verse 8. Paul writes, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Paul had to the, just as Peter had to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And you see, together they celebrated the fruitfulness of one another's different tasks, one another's different ministries. They celebrated them together. So we they didn't argue, and we don't argue or fall out with one another because we each have different gifts or callings or skills or ministries. No, we work together, one team, on a mission, the mission of God. And see, through Peter and Paul, where they were preaching, preaching the same gospel, they recognized that there were different ways of going about it. Some Christians have, have got the gift and the ability to share the gospel with one group of people and some with another group of people. We keep the same message, but we adapt the means to best suit the group or the culture into which we're sharing the message. Again, I, we see this in all, in, locally and globally in many different parts of the world, but I think it, it was spelled out most clearly for me, perhaps, when I was doing some mission work in, in North Africa, and there were people there who were called to share the, the gospel with the Arabs and others with the Berbers and others with the many different expat European communities in the country. all sharing the same message, but in a way that's using the language and is culturally appropriate and understood by the people that they're trying to reach. We see it here in Northern Ireland. Of course we do. And there may be people sitting here this morning or tuning in this morning. And you feel called to share the gospel with a certain ethnic group or a certain 
uh, or in a certain context, uh, perhaps in a housing estate or in a city center or amongst youth or children or seniors or people with additional needs or, or with similar interests. Same gospel, different people to share it amongst different groups and using a language and a means that's relevant to them. So at that meeting in, in Jerusalem, the apostles, they stated, that they stated their agreement and their determination to both preserve the message of the gospel, but equally to, to be relevant amongst the people group with whom they were working. So they agreed, verse 9, that Paul would, would preach it amongst the Gentiles and Peter would share it amongst the Jews. Similarly, each of us is equipped and called to share the gospel, and we each have to work out with God's help how we best can share it with our family, our friends, our colleagues, that group of people that God has put us amongst or is calling us to. Thirdly and finally, gospel truth and unity means that we continue to remember those in need. Paul and Peter and the Jerusalem apostles were called to different mission fields, but they were completely united in their concern for those in need. So why is remembering the poor fundamental to gospel truth and unity? Well, there are two reasons that we can see here. Firstly, there is a particular one that applied to the early church, and secondly, there is a, a general one that continues to apply to the church through every age. <clears throat> well, the particular reason for remembering the poor here in this Jerusalem context was that the Jewish, the Jewish churches were financially poorer than the Gentile ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the Jewish churches were poorer than the Gentile ones that Paul was planting in Asia Minor. The poorer Jewish congregations were dependent on the financial support of the, the, the more wealthy Gentile ones. So the well-resourced churches were, were helping the weaker churches. And it was kind of like our first century equivalent of our Presbyterian United Appeal, where those with more, more resources are able to support those with less in order to see the, the gospel advance in the kingdom coming locally and globally. And thank you again so much for your generosity and your continued support of our denominations United Appeal through your giving to the Orange Field at United Appeal for Mission. And then the, secondly, the general reason for remembering the poor is because caring for those in need reflects the very heart of God. Caring for those in need reflects the very heart of God. It's a constant theme that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture and church history. You see, from the days when the Israelites roamed in the wilderness in the desert, through the rule of the kings, to the preaching of the prophets, to the days of Jesus and the early church, caring for the less well-off, for the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the oppressed, the sick, that was commanded by God because that's what God is like. That's what God does. He's the defender of the weak. He comforts those in need. He lifts us up on wings like eagles. God's people are blessed to be a blessing. And caring for the poor, the weak, the needy was and is a reflection of God's concern for the poor. And Jesus teaches that anyone who has been truly touched who has tasted and seen that God is good, who has received this goodness of God. Anyone who has received the goodness and grace of God can't but help but become a channel of that goodness and grace of God 
out into the world, particularly towards those in need. Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that he will judge us on judge whether or not we have a living faith, whether or not we are in Christ by looking at how we have helped or failed to help the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner. And Jesus, of course, is our role model. Jesus provides us with the perfect example of ministering to and caring for the poor. In his incarnation, Jesus moved in with the needy. He came to planet Earth because we are all in need of salvation. So in stepping onto planet Earth, he moved in with the needy. But further than that, he lived and ate and worked and socialized largely with those on the fringes of society. And as disciples, then we follow Jesus. That's what disciples do. We follow the Master and his example. So we are to share what God has given us with the needy. Resources are to be shared generously between rich and poor, both within the church and within the community around us. And you know, let's remember that any one of us can easily find ourselves in need. The poor is not always somebody else. The poor can sometimes be me, can sometimes be you. Because any of us can easily find ourselves in need of assistance practically, financially, spiritually, or emotionally. And maybe much easier than we sometimes like to think. And so we be prepared to, to share, to care. And surely the very last thing that Paul and the other apostles would agree on before they parted company in Jerusalem, that would be a significant thing, wouldn't it? And this is it. Remember the poor. Christians are to be united in and by their concern for those in need. And there are, as we know, many different ways of doing that, both prayerfully and practically, both near and far. Here at Orangefield, sharing what we have with others is very much part of who we are. It's in our DNA. It's, in, it's part of our vision and mission in our lives. We care for one another. We love our neighbors at home and overseas. That's our aim. That's what we seek to do is we draw on God's grace and God's goodness. And you know, we can do that simply, very simply, by, by simply loving and caring for our families, our friends, our colleagues, the community in which God has placed us and those that He has placed around us. But if you're looking for other ideas, then let me invite you to visit our resource area or visit the Orangefield Global or Orangefield Local pages of our church website. And there you will find some information on, on some of our ministries and some of the, the organizations that we partner with who are working amongst some of the most needy people in our world and in our community. And if you or someone you know may at some time require the practical assistance of our, our hamper ministry or our food bank or our benevolent fund, then please, please, just be in touch with myself or Gareth, and in complete confidence, we will help as best we can. So just as I finish, we, think we can see from our reading this morning, and indeed from the entire sweep of Scripture, that both the truth of the gospel and the unity of the church, these are big on God's heart, and they are central to His ongoing mission to the world. 
We see from Galatians chapter 2 this morning that gospel truth and unity means we have fellowship with all who are in Christ. We recognize that we each have different roles within the same mission of God, and we continue to remember those in need. So may the Lord write these eternal truths on our hearts and minds as we continue to live them out together for Him, united in Christ. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. And God is very much moving amongst us and speaking to us by the power of His Spirit and His living Word. So let us take a moment in His presence and in the silence to reflect on what He's saying to us, to respond in the silence of our own hearts to what He would have us do. Lord God, we thank you that in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see a wonderful example of truth and unity. And we see from your word that you're building your church, a people to stand for, to proclaim, to demonstrate your gospel truth and unity in the world. Help us to know better how we can do that. To know more importantly, how to be your people, reflecting your truth and unity into the world. So fill us now with your Spirit and empower us, like your church down through the ages, to pray and work for gospel truth and unity as we serve the Lord Jesus, as he continues to make his gospel and his name known, to build his church and his kingdom here and in every nation. And we pray all this for your glory alone in the power of the Spirit, and to the praise of His most beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.